Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Podcast. To find out more about the Worklife Hub and to listen to other episodes, please go to www.worklifehub.com. Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Hub Podcast. I am your host, Agnes Uheretsky. If this is the first time that you are tuning in, let me just say a few words about this podcast. We speak to authors, researchers, business thought leaders, for them to share their knowledge and insight on work-life balance, leadership, culture change and organizational development. In our work at the Worklife Hub, we help companies reform their workplace to create a culture that embraces diversity and work-life balance. We are passionate about building vibrant and engaging workplaces that are great for employees and customers. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do this via Twitter at WorkLifeHub, on our LinkedIn page or on our website. We're always happy to hear how you like the podcast or any other ideas that you would like to share with us. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the listeners of the Work Life Podcast. This is your host, Agnes Uheretsky, and it's um, an absolute joy to be joined for the second time uh, by Ben Cumming from London, from Chatham House. Hi, Ben. Hi, Agnes. Thank you for having me. So, uh, Ben and I have already connected and recorded a podcast uh, about a year ago, and as Chatham House is organizing again their iconic Future of Work conference on the 23rd of June in London, uh, we thought it would be a good idea to update listeners what is to be expected about this uh, new conference, what are some of the trends and the changes, and to have a a conversation around the future of work. So um, let me maybe start again by uh, asking uh, Ben to introduce Chatham House um, to maybe the listeners and also what are the aims, where it's based, uh, the members, maybe the activities, and then we'll go and, and take a closer look to the conference. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Chatham House is the Royal Institute of International Affairs here in London, uh, one of the world's leading think tanks. Oh, we actually won Think Tank of the Year uh, this year, I think. But um, no, and I appreciate sort of think tank can be a little bit sort of vague in of itself. Um, basically, what we are is... Uh, our stated goal, really, founded in the aftermath of World War One, is to uh, advance international affairs and advance prosperity in international affairs uh, through research and informed conversation and informed dialogue. This also gives you a little bit of a hint about what our day-to-day activities here. We're made up, really, of a, of a number of separate research departments focusing on different subject matters, such as international security, uh, the international economy, global health, um, and so on, as well as different regions. So looking at the Middle East and North Africa, the uh, Americas, Asia, Europe, um, and so on. Now, they conduct uh, in-depth research, independent research into those issues, international issues in those areas, and they also convene meetings uh, of their own in order to advance that dialogue and research. On the other side of things, on that uh, advancing prosperity through dialogue point, uh, we also host a number of different events. Uh, Some of these are for our members, either our individual uh, members and our corporate members, and some of those are our much larger conferences, like the Future of Work event. Thank you very much for this introduction. 
Um, let's have a closer look maybe at the Future of Work conference that you're organizing again in June. And, and I participated at the last one in 2016. It was really a fantastic day with great speakers. Um, I had a total geek moment when I finally met James Manika in person. Of course, I guess everybody knows him and is dying to meet him as well as uh, Linda Gretton and the Norwegian Minister for Youth and Education, so fantastic high-level speakers. And I just wanted to touch upon this one issue about, you know, whether you already decided to have an annual event on this or it came spontaneously, and mainly what are the, the, the biggest changes or the new challenges that made Chatham House decide let's do another one and let's focus in on maybe some of the other other trends or other areas of the future mm. of work? No, it's, it's a good good question. I mean, obviously, after the sort of success of last year's event, and you know, thank you very much for, for your kind words about it, um, I, you know, after the success, we definitely knew that we were keen to do it again. However, obviously, that is dependent upon there being something new to say. I mean, these issues aren't going away. I think that's you know, fairly clear, at least not anytime soon. But, you know, there has to be something a little bit different for the speakers to bring to the table. Um, and, you know, this year has actually, it's been busy in that regard, in particular in demonstrating some of the trends and effects that we that were talked about last year i mean but just on the political level if we want to talk about uh, brexit and uh, the, the election of donald trump i mean it's uh, among other things it's becoming quite clear and this is something we talk about a lot here at chasm house that there is a growing uh, disaffection uh, with the international economy as a whole um, now, that's due to a number of different reasons, you know, due to sort of productivity decline in particular in, in the developed world. But, you know, these issues in terms of a, a general disaffection with the international economy ultimately do boil down to, you know, the working world and the status, people's economic status within the international system. So there's certainly a lot to be, uh, a lot to be discussed there. And it's interesting that you mentioned these key two key political disruptions, if I may call them that, um, because both of them um, have had very, very strong um, arguments on both sides concerning work, mobility, um, jobs, who is actually stealing our jobs. It's, it's like an mm -hmm. international investigation. We're trying to figure yes. out who is stealing our jobs. And um, yeah, so it, it it is work, uh, the way people work, where they work, uh, how much they earn is, are huge parts of both of these conversations. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and I think one of the main things that will be discussed at this year's event and is being discussed right now is the potentially harmful effects of policy responses to the situation in the world of work, to productivity decline, to issues in employment. I mean, you know, when you start talking about things like... To, Bringing back, sort of bringing back coal to the U.S. and you know, uh, 
basically industrial industrial policy solutions coming from government in order to fix uh, future work issues. It doesn't bode particularly well. I, I, th I think a lot of people would argue for that long-term growth and actually, you know, solving these issues with disaffection in the international system. So I think a lot of people are concerned about these sort of shooting from the hip responses that a lot of policymakers are making to what are fundamentally long-term uh, issues they're facing in a globalized economy. Yes, absolutely. And, and basically, this takes me really nicely to my next question, because I wanted to explore with you the four key topics. Maybe we will not have time to, to go into all four of them, but they basically really touch upon major structural issues. The first one, if we can start with the issue around productivity, and mm -hmm. I just read a, a very perhaps alarming but interesting article about how Adidas is um, bringing back its manufacturing to Europe from Asia mm -hmm. into um, almost entirely robot-led um, uh, factories. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we see that there is so much grappling <laughs> going on with these issues, different attempts from taxing robots or the six-hour workday and then what if, you know, we don't uh, find any solution to, to this issue about technological development coupled with, with the stagnation of productivity? So take us maybe through a little bit how you will tackle this angle, who, who would be the, the speakers on there and, and what, wh how would you like to take this conversation to the next level? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, it's a very, it's a very difficult question and certainly with, with no obvious answers. I think, you know, productivity is the core issue, especially facing developed economies right now. I mean, I mean, it ties back into what we were discussing before regarding that disaffection with the global economy. And, you know, it's fair to say that there has been a disconnection between real wage increases and, you know, national growth, national economic growth across the board. And a lot of that is for reasons of productivity, namely that with technological advancements, uh, it, you actually get better returns investing in technology often than you do investing in people. And, you know, th this presents a problem. This you know, presents a sort of a weakness and a potential slowdown in productivity on that individual level. So people are feeling less and less connected um, with the growth and, you know, all these sort of economic advancements that their countries are making because they're not necessarily seeing the returns. In terms of tackling it, I'm always somewhat reluctant to talk about these things in terms of solutions, largely because it, it sort of implies that a sort of policy response is necessarily the best measure to deal with it. I'm not saying it is, I'm not saying it isn't, but it is also important to say that you know, with every automation wave, technological, uh, technology-driven automation wave, we have seen an increase in, point, in employment in the end. I mean, employment, which is, sort of, I think, roughly 75%, somewhere around there right now in the UK, is at it, the highest it's been since records began. Now, I know that's a little bit of a uh, Met Office weather-style response, but, you know, <laughs> since, since 1971 anyway... You know, employment's at, at a very, very high level. And historically, we've always seen that to be the case. So I think before we start sort of panicking and, you know, throwing in um, uh, sort of policy responses, such as, you know, robot taxation and so on, you know, it's, it's important to, to walk slowly, shall we say. So I think in terms of how you'd approach the issue, what's most important is to work out exactly what, what the issue is. 
um, rather than sort of jumping in and discussing the policy responses individually. The the world is still quite unforgiving, actually, towards mm. policy experimentation. Yes. And and what I see here, observing Brussels and the Brussels machinery, is you know the way startups are able to um, buy buy chunks out of large established corporations because they iterate because they're very agile. Yes. We haven't really seen this agility in policy making. I mean, there are some pockets <laughs> of experimentation, for example, in Finland with the with this pilot phase of the um, of the guaranteed minimum income. Um, but but it seems that we either, as you say, we just, you know we just pour buckets of solutions covering everything, or or nothing. And it's um, it's how to get you know how to get then those. The responses, how to be fair, how to give back something to taxpayers <laughs> eventually, yeah. um, you know, without without being able to 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 experiment, without being able to refine, and and it's just moving very very quickly as well. Yeah, yeah, no, I I I'd absolutely agree with that. I think um, it, it, I, I sort of don't necessarily want to sort of prescribe too much on where I think the solutions are going to come from but i certainly think that policymakers are being held to account uh, in terms of their various regulatory initiatives aimed at solving these problems as opposed to as you say these sort of agile uh, smaller private organizations i mean the, the issues we're talking about the, the sort of first session which looks at that productivity question in general you know then the agenda moves on to deal with them sort of one by one as it were and digs into them a bit and you also mentioned one aspect of um, productivity, which is which is investing in technology or investing in people, and and that takes us to the the second panel, which is about human capital investment. Yeah. And yeah. as what looks like the economy seems to be picking up, and you know, we still see a huge opening of the. Uh, inequality gap between those highly skilled and uh, the the lower level skilled um, mm. human capital investment investing in learning and training and development upskilling closing the skills gap is more important than ever so maybe take us through just a couple of points on how from what angles the the panelists will tackle these um, absolutely. I mean, I, I think it, it's fair to say that with technology not just uh, sort of threatening certain jobs, and you know that's obviously a core driver for the event. I mean, PwC recently saying that thirty uh, percent of jobs in the UK are "quote unquote" under threat from automation. But it's also important to focus on how these jobs are going to change. Now, as they change, they require different skill sets in order to be done effectively. Um, and the question is, who provides those skills? I mean, we're seeing a skills mismatch across different economies. Now, admittedly, some of this can be solved through uh, outsourcing and actually through migration as well, which is important to remember is a core part of this conference and uh, is a more important policy issue than ever. Uh, well, for you know, the obvious policy, uh, political disruptions that we discussed earlier, I think uh, that, that migration is is critical but you know it still remains that the problem is how do we get that skills supply to skills demand so obviously the solution is okay well we we provide the skills however there are, you know it's not quite as simple as that firstly the question is who provides the skills 
is this a government education policy? Or given that, what we're seeing is you know, an ever-changing policy uh, sort of an ever-changing demand of different skill sets, does it fall on the companies themselves in order to, you know, provide training? Is it more of a private initiative, shall we say? Is it better handled by um, the private the private sector? And it moves on to another point as well, which is what skills should we be providing? Now, mm. lots of people are talking a great deal about, well, it, it, it's STEM, you know, we mm. need everybody to be educated in STEM, we need more programming and sort of primary school education and so on. Now, this is interesting and it is important, especially if you're going to look at things from a government, you know, national curriculum standpoint. But I think fundamentally what's more important is discussing the way we learn over our lifetime. So encouraging things like lifelong learning and encouraging people to go out and retrain um, themselves uh, is going to be you know, w- one of the core issues discussed at this event. And, and what you mentioned about you know, whose responsibility is it mm. to provide this training, I think that there are great cultural differences um, in terms of, mm. for example, what I see from speaking to um, institutions like uh, ISA, the Institute of the Future of Work in Germany, mm. where it's almost a given that it's it's more or less the government's role to mm. to to cater for this the closing of the skills gap of of its citizens or, or people living in mm. Germany, whereas in some other uh, countries it's it's quite clear that it's the individual's uh, role yeah. to to consume <laughs> from the great variety of of skills offered to you and, and find what suits you, what you can mm. develop in. And then some some uh, people argue that it's the employer who should be doing that. So there's also not a lot of um, uh, understanding or agreement uh, about this as well. I think given the pace of technological change, there's a big question mark over whether or not governments and policymakers are agile enough to change, to adapt skills provision strategies in order to keep up with the global economy in the long term. You know, I think uh, there's an argument about whether or not through the, you know, somewhat rigid and slow changing uh, system of national education, um, whether or not that can adapt fast enough in order to adequately provide skills in such a fast-changing economy. But that being said, that's not necessarily saying that, you know, it shouldn't be the government's responsibility. It's just saying that the government needs to adapt its strategy, if you see what I mean. So um, these these are important questions. And also, not just looking at technology from the standpoint of, uh, okay, well, technology is changing what we need to teach people. Also looking at, well, okay, how is technology changing how we should be teaching people? You know, how can we utilize technology in order to get that information across uh, across borders? And, and as you mentioned before, two different socioeconomic groups. You know, that widening gap, you know, there's, there's a lot of potential for technology um, and uh, future technologies to, to help close that. You know, just looking at initiatives like Harvard Online, these, these good examples of this. Mm, absolutely. Mm. Now, coming maybe to the third um, topic, one of my mm. favorites, the gig economy, hotly mm-hmm. debated, of course. I find that trade unions, policymakers, on the one hand, and uh, the gig economy platforms, enablers, have really dug in their heels. Mm-hmm. There doesn't seem to be an, an approaching of, of points of views. Um, and it's 
very difficult to work out how to squeeze in this non-formal, non-standard employment into the, the systemic way that normally mm-hmm. employment, unemployment, pensions, social security, all of that has been set up. Um, so so tell, us, uh, tell us a little bit about this panel. What are going to be maybe the issues that will be tackled there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, you're absolutely right, in particular regarding the slight uh, sort of deadlock almost in the middle mm. there. Um, I, I, it, it's effectively discussing how, given the, you know, the advent of, of these technologies and these platforms, in particular labor market platforms, um, how can both uh, private actors but critically uh, regulatory frameworks adapt in order to accommodate them? And by accommodate them, what we're really talking about is trying to balance the flexibility that is certainly certainly an an interesting and and I would argue very beneficial force uh, within the world and certainly a source of growth in in the developed world um, and the developing world. How do you balance that flexibility and that need for flexibility with security? So how do you ensure that people are quote-unquote, looked after um, in uh, an employment scenario where they are effectively free agents. Um, and, and that's proving you know very difficult. Uh, admittedly, it is early days yet. I think it's important to remember that when it comes mm. to um, this, uh, this uh, adaptation, is that we're still in very early days uh, of this sort of new labor market platform growth. And whilst, you know, it, it might be difficult to see a way, a way through right now, uh, I'm, I'm confident that, that it will happen over time. But I think that it is really about how can we adapt regulatory f- frameworks to partner that flexibility with that security. I mean, one of the things that we mentioned before regarding the uh, how can we partner, um, you know, how can we make sure that there is human capital investment alongside economic growth, given these technological breakthroughs? And a lot of that is simply just about people not sort of slipping through the cracks. Yeah. Um, and this is a core part of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, would you like to give listeners a, a, a taste into some of the speakers that you have already confirmed? Absolutely. Uh, can do. As you mentioned before, James Manika uh, will be rejoining us, um, who's actually been a tremendous, a tremendous help both as a speaker, but also uh, working with me in developing the agenda. Um, uh, also, uh, we'll be rejoined by Alan Blue, who's the co-founder of LinkedIn um, and uh, obviously something, uh, something of a visionary in this space. Um, we are also being rejoined by Lazno Andor, who's the former European Commissioner uh, for Employment and Skills, Thorburn Albrecht, who's the Permanent State Secretary uh, for Germany um, for uh, Labour and Social Affairs, and also Uber, who we sort of were effectively talking about yeah. <laughs> earlier, um, Uber, um, Betsy Maziello, who is their Senior Director for Policy and uh, Economics of subtitle um will be joining us as well so i mean that's just a taste there are a number of others but you know if you want to see more I'm, well I, I think we're putting the speaker list up alongside this one no it's great and and um i mean i, I think you can feel the sizzling <laughs> of different uh, views there and mm. and uh, in particular i was very happy that you managed to secure um a 
German speaker because they had this fascinating co-creation of their green paper and then the publication of the white paper on their future work initiative. And, and I thought that that was very, um, very uh, admirable, <laughs> to be honest, yeah. that the country really took the time to consult with a, a very vast number of stakeholders in in you know what are people's concerns how can we react to that what how mm. is the world of work changing but also on the ground so that's great mm. no i'm certainly looking forward to it now to to perhaps um before we go actually to the last question may i ask you ben to tell listeners um about the website for the conference and how and where they can register Absolutely. Uh, if you go to www.chathamhouse.org and then go to the events page, it should be right up there. Great. And of course, no it's also on our website. We will share it as well along with the write-up of the podcast. Now, uh, the last question. I always like to ask provocative questions at the end, mm -hmm. um, not at the beginning. But there are, you know, future of work is, is a, a growing and hot topic. Um, there are many international organizations who are jumping on the bandwagon, so to speak. Just today, in April, the ILO is organization organizing its Future of Work mm. event. The OECD forum, obviously, will tackle it. Now, why, why should people still attend the Chatham House Conference? Um, mm. You know, what, 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 what is the, the aspects that they're going to really find only there? Mm. Absolutely. I mean, it would be... So on the first point, I can talk about the sort of seniority of our speakers and you know, how long we've been doing this for, so coming up, coming up on 100 years. But I mean, actually, I think the key value, especially of Chatham House operating and conducting events in this space on this particular subject matter, is that what is required to deal with the future of work, which is a massive, it's a global issue on a globalization topic, um, it requires... Firstly, different actors. So it requires not only policymakers, but it requires policymakers talking with and working with leading industry and private stakeholders. And that's exactly the nexus where Chatham House uh, operates and exactly where it lies. So I think that bringing together of thought leadership from both the public and private sectors to talk about the future of work and the future of employment uh, is critical. And also, as I mentioned, it's a global issue. And it's the Royal Institute of International Affairs, bringing people together uh, to deal with uh, international, international issues of fundamental importance is sort of our bread and butter. So I think that, you know, that right there is, is was, was a potentially slightly obvious and you know, sort of straightforward answer. That, 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 those would be my, my two main points. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, Chatham House is also such a, a, a neutral uh, party, mm. I guess, in mm. in allowing for everyone to speak freely, mm. that you may yeah. not get um, at other events where where the organizers themselves are vested in the interest of one or other party. Yeah. So, so this neutrality, I think, this neutral platform. I would I, I would agree. I mean, I would say the neutrality and the independence certainly yeah. is critical, and it's certainly something that is at. I mean, it's at the front of everything we do, really, is maintaining that, that independence. Actually, our status um, as a charity depends upon it. Um, but uh, I would also argue the Chatham House rule, which is arguably more famous than we are as an institute, <laughs> um, you know, 
it's you know it's certainly not just a piece of branding. Chatham House is a place where people feel they can come and speak freely uh, without fear of a sort of any kind of retribution or punitive action or even identification. And I think that when you're dealing with issues, controversial issues like this, where I mean everybody's got a slightly different stance. Um, when it comes to the future of work and uh, those uh, quote-unquote solutions you mentioned, um, I think you know it, it's incredibly important to have that ability to speak freely and to encourage a legitimately productive dialogue. No, absolutely, and and also to h- help break this illusion that one or other party can solve this on their own. This is yes. not going to be solved or helped with policy only or by um, uh, companies only or by citizens only. This is a, this is a huge collaborative platform that uh, requires the dedication and open-mindedness of everyone. So thank Excellent. you yeah. for, for organizing this again. And thank you very much, Ben, uh, for coming on the podcast, for sharing your insight and also um, giving people a, a taste uh, for the event. And I wish you the best of success with organizing it. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me.